Welcome back to Gal on the Go Unplugged. My guest is Michelle Bolos, founder of NT Concepts, champion for girls in STEM fields, and a philanthropist. NT Concepts is a data-driven technology innovation company in national security that aims to stay ahead of the tech curve while maintaining stellar customer service. Michelle's sharp business judgment and unwavering dedication serve as a blueprint for the success of her customers, employees, and the business. Michelle is equally benevolent outside of the boardroom, tirelessly advocating for girls and women in STEM fields, actively serving as a volunteer, and generously donating to organizations. She is truly a modern-day Wonder Woman. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I really appreciate your time, and I know so many people are going to gain value um, from what you have to offer. So let's get right into it. So you worked for one company before you decided to go out on your own. Um, What sparked you to start NT Concepts? Um, It's an interesting story. Uh, When I chose my degree in college, I knew I would be entering into a very dominated, uh, male-dominated field. And I could see that by just looking around the classroom on on how very few women there were in uh, my program. But I guess I under estimated the culture for women when I decided to take a job in an engineering manufacturing company. Um, It was during this time that I learned really one of the most important um, uh, pieces of getting a job, which is culture and and how that culture fits into um, my career. And so there were many instances that showed me during those four years of working for this company that women were almost secondhand citizens um, in this male-dominated world. Um, But one in particular stood out, and this is when uh, very early on in my job when I was there, um, I remember being called up to one of the engineer's um, offices because uh, his computer was broken. He needed me to fix it. And so when I walked upstairs, I... um, I noticed to the left of his computer, there was a a calendar that a vendor had sent to him. And the calendar was of naked women and a tool was kind of over the bottom part of, um, you know, the bikini area. So I said to Larry, do I really need to see this while I'm fixing your computer? And of course, it sparked this conversation and more engineers came into the um, the cubicle. And I said, you know, how do you think uh, this one engineer, the only woman engineer, how do you think she feels having all of this? And we talked about it and um, it, it just, you know, the conversation was heated and we had good discussion and laughs and then it went away. And just to kind of set the stage, this was right around the time that Clarence Thomas was being accused of sexual harassment with Anita Hill um, up on the hill. And that term wasn't really in um, a a term that was widely used in the workforce. So 
Fast forward, maybe a day later, I get called into the vice president's office of HR. And I'm thinking, oh boy, I, I'm 22 years old. It, it was a hard enough to get this job. I'm, I'm in trouble. And I walked in and he sat me down and he said, look, I heard what happened yesterday. Um, and on behalf of the company, I'd like to apologize. Um, the, you know, we are changing our policy and all inappropriate material are coming down. And I just wanted to say thank you for speaking up. And I thought, um, you know, my, my dad always said, you know, when you don't see something right, speak up for it. And, um, and I was real glad that I wasn't afraid to do that because that did change the culture a little bit. I mean, you know, changing a culture is like moving a ship. Um, but, but it was one of the first things that they started realizing that in this environment that they have, it was a little toxic for, for women. So I, said, you know, from when I left that company, culture is really important. And the only way that you are going to create a culture um, that you want to work in was to start your own company. And so I went out on my own. Um, I went out on my own. And for five years, I um, uh, was, you know, an independent contractor working at various companies. Um, but then I just decided to take the middleman out and I started the company and, and that, that was kind of the catalyst to, uh, incorporating. Well, that's incredible. The fact that you had, you know, respected, listened to your dad, took to heart the words advice he shared with you, and then actually, you know, spoke up in an intimidating environment, um, you know, especially when that was less common, that's just really incredible. And that's just um, pretty cool for the women that work for you to know that that is a place of where you came from. And so that you've carried that with you to make sure that is not the case. You know, you want the opposite of that, um, not just at your company, but for women in general in the field. That's definitely a gal on the go type of mentality. (laughs) I I love seeing that most women these days are not afraid to act. Obviously, um, uh, what Anita Hill was doing was life changing. Of course, it didn't do very much good, as we all know today. Um, But the... um, the how brave she was to go in front of the world and say her truth um, was incredibly, um, you know, meaningful to me back then to watch that. Uh, and you paid it forward through your words and actions, which is amazing. Um, so given that situation um, and how that would be actually a a proud moment, it should be for you and for your father. What is one of your proudest moments as the founder and CEO of NT Concepts and why? So I think um, when you can empower others to um, have that freedom to speak up, um, that that I would say is probably my proudest moment. And what that means is that when I started the company, I created a a set of core values that 
you know, still remains today a solid foundation that we stand on. And um, way before you, you know, you said the whole voting off of the island became even a term, um, if people can't stand on that foundation and work within that environment, they just don't belong in the company. And so I never wanted us to make a decision based on money, but based on culture. And so I think personally, um, the, the one thing that I feel most proud of is that we created this foundation that is set on a base of values that are not just words on a wall. We really live them. And when things go wrong, we act because it is against those. um, And it's again, it's not a money thing. I I once had a situation where we had an individual who was incredibly liked by her customer, um, but she could not culturally fit in. Um, She gossiped all the time and uh, brought people down and dragged them down. And although the customer loved her and loved her work, it is like a poisonous apple in a batch. And although it was very difficult to, um, uh, after months of counseling to try to correct it and it wasn't working, I had to make the hard decision to that, that that's just not going to work in our company and, and let the individual go. And sometimes that's really hard because, you know, the customer, nobody really knows why you do it. I can't go and share what we're doing, but it is, it was um, poison through the company. And you have to say, look, this goes against your core values. You have to stick to those because ultimately the customer is going to appreciate it in the end. Um so that I, that's what I would say is um, probably something that I, as I handed the baton off to the new CEO, um, I feel really good that the people in the company understand the you know rules of the road, the values well, of the company. That was both a fair and bold move you made, actually, because you gave the employee a chance to improve themselves, mm-hmm. you know, which a lot of times people wouldn't do that. And then when you saw that, you know, after effort made, it still wasn't working out, despite to your point, the client being happy, you were thinking of the greater good of the company and the people that work for you. And, you know, um, I, I imagine that would have been absolutely difficult decision. And to your point, if, um, a client really appreciates it and they're a good client. Also, they would see the value in that decision. So, yeah. Well, you know, okay. So with um, good moments come challenging moments. Mm -hmm. So what was one of your most challenging moments to date and why? So I would say that um, I'll just set the stage on what we were, the company as a whole was challenged with. Um, in we were a company of around 140 people, and um, the government came to us and asked us to take on an emergency sole source contract that would staff us up from 125 to about 1,200 people overnight. And we had like two weeks to prepare for it. Wow! Um, the company that um, the contract that we were taking over was being pulled away from a contractor because they were doing um, fraudulent. Things and the culture in that organization was incredibly toxic. And so, how do you um, introduce 
a thousand new people into your company and show them that here are our core values and that you can trust us. You can trust the person at the top because the person at the top in their last company was the root of the problem. Um, it was probably one of the hardest things that I've had to do, but it, it was constant talking, showing, um, making decisions based on what their feedback was, basing decisions on um, on our core values, and honestly shaking the leaf and letting the dead le uh, leaves fall off and getting rid of them and, and empowering the good leaves to grow and prosper. And I will tell you, it probably took a good year for that organization, the people that we inherited and, and brought over our company to really have trust in, in what we were saying and what we were doing um, and feeling like they had a voice. So if they did say something about a calendar to the left of their monitor, that we would listen and we would take action and, and we would um, be empathetic to what they were saying. They did not come from an environment like that. And I, I think I, um, that was probably one of the biggest challenge was to say, okay, I can get up here and I can say what this new environment is, but I have to show them. And as it turns out, we ended up having that contract for a little over six years instead of the one year we were supposed to. Um, and I still today get emails from people who used to work there saying it was the, the best environment they've ever worked in. So it's a, that's a proud moment, but a very difficult challenge that I had. Ah, well, that's amazing. I was going to say, did you receive any feedback from the, that group of people? You know, so that's cool that um, you received um, responses and um, messages from them about what a great experience it was. And for you to say that that like turned itself around in about a year, you know, from taking that volume of people with all those different personalities, all those different skills together, like that's really impressive. You know, it, it, there were a lot of people involved. Um, and I'll tell you, we inherited some top notch, salt of the earth type of people who just needed to have the freedom to be a leader and then and and give them the foundation that, of that, you know, that freedom to be a leader. So all I did was said, this is what we expect from you. And they ran with it. It was a beautiful thing to watch. Um you know, the, the change in the people. Yeah. And I still keep in touch with so many of them. Um, it was one of my, um, they've taught me so much and it was an incredible experience for us. Plus we turned the program around and gave the government what they needed. So. Well, it sounds like a win-win and I love happy endings like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So um, your company and you are very, um, proactive and trying to stay ahead of the tech curve and being solvers of the what's next. Mm. So what are some ways that you do that? So I think from the very beginning, we always looked at the customer's pain points and found creative ways to solve them. And sometimes they worked and other times they didn't. Um, but in each instant, we candidly communicated with the customer on what was best for them. And sometimes that meant to cut off our program. You know, if it's not working, we have to be able to go to them and say, it's not working. We tried this and 
you can either pivot or you can, you know, stop the program and and go off to try something else. So the the best way we kind of stayed ahead of the curve is just really not be afraid to fail, um, because innovative um, programs will fail a majority of the time. Just just like entrepreneurship. Um, fails. The the best part about it is that you learn from your failure and you correct and you you um, keep going. So leaning over that edge, um, looking really at the horizon instead of kind of at your feet. Um, we did this during, for example, the dot-com explosion. Uh, there was a, a, you know, the dot-com environment exploded. We had, were very, very involved with a lot of, you know, build it and we will come sort of companies. Um, and for about a year, for us, for about a year, there was just a lot of chirping. We didn't have a, a new business. I didn't have to lay anybody off because I thought to myself, I have these great people. Now what we need to do is retrain them on the next thing that's coming up. And so we, during that chirping year, we retrained them in something that was called .NET, which was the um, predecessor to, um, uh, I'm sorry, it was the next step from classic ASP for those geeky programmers out there. It seems ancient today. <laughs> um, but we leaned forward on that and we said, you know, eventually we're going to get somebody who's going to want to do this new platform. And sure enough, we won a very large contract a year later that needed this technology and we had already trained people in it. I mean, when e-learning wasn't even a thing, um, we started introducing the industry to the concept that you don't have to be in person for a training. We'll show you how to do this on an e-learning environment. We leaned forward. The, you know, the interesting part is, is that both of those changed, you know, it, it went, it worked for a year or two, and then there was something else. Um, very, you know, very quickly when we started seeing that data science could change um, a lot of the processes in the government, we started working with our partner Google to introduce to the government and help them understand how data science can help make so many programs more effective. So these programs. Um, you know, although it's not really replacing people, but it's helping the analysts do their job so much more effectively and so much faster. But you really do have to lean forward and convince the customer, just give us a couple months to prove a concept and we'll show you how, how it's done. Um, so, you know, our programs have helped solve, I think, some of the most complex problems that our customer face at the time that we implemented them. We just have to always stay real close to them on seeing what is the next thing and what can we offer. And then also just to make sure that the customer understands that these are little research and developments. And sometimes they won't always work out, but we'll be the first to step away if they don't. So you have this relationship of trust with the customer, obviously, um, you know, that, that they know you're the expert in the area they're seeking and they know that, hey, this could be like the beginning of something and it's not necessarily like a guarantee, but we're going to figure it out. So do you also find that like with your employees, of course, they're in a field 
where they know things are going to change. If you're in the tech field, you know, things change very rapidly, but do you think like they appreciate um, the fact that you're so supportive with that e-learning environment and that, you know, they're pretty open to going along with it? Yeah, one of our core values is called welcome entrepreneurs. And the subline to that is everybody is going to fail um, at some point. And entrepreneurs fail a majority of the time. So we're welcoming that entrepreneurial spirit where you come in and you try something and then you don't succeed and then you adjust and then you don't succeed and then you adjust and then you come to us and say, this might not work out. If we don't empower our employees to be safe in that environment, then they will never take the risk of trying something new. And so, yes, I think um, I'll give you an example. We have um, internship cohorts and our cohort comes in in the summer and sometimes we give them some really complex problems. And a couple of years ago, this cohort of interns took a very complex problem that our customer could not solve in the data science world. And they actually put forward at the end of the summer when they presented to the entire company, they put forward a solution. And we went, wow, we have not been able to figure that one out. So we took it to the customer and the customer said, keep going. And some of our interns went back to their university and continued working on this program through, you know, uh, working part-time to solve these problems. You know, some people might say, oh, the interns don't really know much. and But let me tell you, when you empower them to try and be more creative, you would be surprised some of the things that come out of, out of that freedom. That has to be so liberating for y- your employees and for those students, um, you know, because I think that's what deep down inside people really want. You know, they want someone to believe in them and not like punish them if they do want to get creative and think outside the box and experiment, you know, and and not feel like the, um, the risk of failure is going to, like I said, like be punishing for them. And um, that's amazing that you nurture that instead um, and uh, those kids probably had the most incredible experience. It's like little kids when people don't give them the benefit of the doubt that they understand things they mm-hmm. hear. <laughs> yeah, you have to be willing to change, but you also have to be um, willing to listen. And, and look, this generation, they're so much smarter than I ever was when I was their age. <laughs> it's great to watch. Well, uh, okay. So the generation that's coming up, all the new technologies, um, you know, they're staying on top of things with their peers and through school. What are um, areas of technology? Because you've seen it through the years, right? A lot of technology coming and going. What has impressed you or impresses you that's coming up in the technology field? Well, so I'm actually so incredibly impressed on how data science can make um, a lot of the historical manual processes much more effective for the user. Um, Back when um, I was working for the DOD in an environment where we were supporting the warfighter and there was drones 
um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of drone video that analysts would sit and watch to pinpoint out certain things in a video. Data science can now go through those, you know, thousands of hours of video and serve up to the analyst. I think you might want to look at this, you know, uh, piece of video. Then the analyst will go and look at the video and say, yep, that's what I'm looking for. But it would have taken that analyst hundreds of hours to watch the video. So data science is helping not necessarily to eliminate um, the need for an analyst, but making their job so much more effective, which means our warfighter can get information much, much faster than we ever could before. So that just continually impresses me. Well, okay. So what are some critical areas in the tech field? You know, you, you talk about what impresses you. What are some areas that need to be improved upon that you've seen? Yeah, and so this is kind of hard for the United States to um, grasp, especially outside the government world. Um, But we need to implement a zero trust policy in all businesses to protect our cybersecurity interest um, in this nation. We we do that. we have reacted to this in the government, and the government is now saying, if you're a government contractor working for these types of um, contracts, you must follow these rules. But in the commercial world, it normally happens on a knee-jerk reaction. Oh my gosh, we had a cyber leak. Now we have to start doing this. We have got to think Um, better. It costs money to do this, but ultimately it costs you 10 times the amount of money when you have a fraudulent activity. And our information is being compromised often and it's destructive to the commerce portion of our nation, which is how we prosper. So I really would love to see um, our nation uh, businesses take more of a an approach to a zero trust and protect in not a reactor reactionary way. We tend to react to things instead of, you know, being proactive to it. I totally agree with you with things I've, you know, personally gone through with um, hacking of accounts and stuff. Uh, I, I really do think it would serve everybody better if we were ahead of the game and not solving these things in the moment. You know, um, so I do hope that changes also. <laughs> I know for um, all of us, it a lot of times we don't know what they're doing with these this information that they have, but they're just building databases and databases of information and then using it to come after us in other ways, you know, fraudulent ways. And it's all money. It'll all come down to that. We we really have to improve in that that area. Yeah, it's very scary. Mm-hmm. Well, you are super um, passionate about um, girls and women in science, technology, engineering, and math. What about those four fields and that study resonates with you specifically? Why are you so passionate about STEM? Um, so for a couple reasons. Um The creativity needed in these pillars of study is what excites me most about encouraging women to enter the field. Um, 
I, I also remember I, I grew up in an environment where there wasn't a right way to do it. My dad used to always say, there's a hundred ways to do it. Find the, the best path for you. And I was encouraged then to, you know, be okay with failing and growing up and making mistakes. Most STEM is about learning and improving on failures. Um, math, maybe not so much, but everything else it, it is. And these studies were not historically encouraged to women um, to enter in and we're lacking in um, to have our way of thinking. Now, I, this is, you know, a stereotype, but it is also there's some truth to this that um, and it's not across the board, but we think differently. We react to things differently. We being women. And so since we weren't really historically encouraged to go into these programs, um, our way of thinking is lacking in this very male-dominated field. So because people's brains work differently, it's always best to have these different thinking patterns working together to solve a problem. So if you only have men, there's a certain way that happens, and that diversity really um, helps think in a different way. I'll tell you, I have two girls, and... um, we watched the movie Hidden Figures together. And Hidden Figures shows us the incredible talent that women bring to the table. Just think how much further along in our country we would have been had we empowered women back in those times to go more into STEM programs. I mean, look what they did um, to make a huge difference in that space program. Just imagine where we're going to be 20, 30 years from now if we can keep bringing women through into those fields. So that's why I'm passionate about it. It's pretty exciting, you know, and I I hope that um, I live long enough to see many super Mm -hmm. cool changes um, in those areas because of the influence of women. Um, And, and, you know, you noted that when you started um, that there were really few women in that area. Um, What is like, you know, one of, let's say, um, like the coolest changes you've seen as far as now that there are more women, you know, in in the field? I I watched this in just the internship program. Um, I believe that um, the way of um, the way that they solve problems and they being men, women, um, you know, uh, different ethnic backgrounds, um, different uh, growing up backgrounds. When you have that diversity, you do not need to be from a top university. Um, I wasn't. You have to have creativity and a passion. And then when you sit back and watch that sausage being made, oh, it's just wonderful. When you have um, one type of thinking, they're all going in the same direction and you're going to get somewhere. You just might not get to where you know you want to be. So I, I just, um, I have seen an incredible amount of um, creativity and change when you have those sort of diversities um, in in problem solving. And I see, I mean, in our, I see the number of women who are applying to our internship programs, and I'm really um, excited 
about that. It it has, you know, for the longest time, women were making up 40% of the STEM programs, but when they got in the field, they changed. They were not enduring in our field, but now, now they are. And, oh, and wow. I, that's amazing. Yeah. The statistics are, are kind of sad. And what, when you sit down with some women in the field and say, why, why did you change? There's a variety of different reasons why, but encouraging them to stay in and changing some of those reasons is really beneficial to the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do. I love, uh, you know, a bunch of the things that you just mentioned, you know, because so many times I think, um, you know, girls, especially like, let's say, shyer girls from, you know, um, low income families, you know, there's an assumption, let's be real, you know, about um, if I didn't go to this Ivy League fancy school, I'm never going to be considered, you know, but you have this like little girl who has the passion, drive, but just maybe discouraged by that aspect. And it's really cool that you mentioned that you value girls creativity and their passion and you don't care like you know about their schooling that's not like the heavy-weighted defining factor um and it's also really fascinating that you're so encouraging um that you noticed that the um, numbers drop off from the beginning mm-hmm. and you know that that has to change I mean, there were two things that my father told me that I have passed on to many people. First, there is not the best school for you to go to. There is the best school for you to go to. You must find what culturally is the right fit for you. And then the second thing is, it's not where you go to college. It's what you do once you get there, because that shows up on your resume and that is the Um, the thing that employers are going to look at, your leadership skills, the programs that you helped put together, um, what you did in your class, what other extra activities you did. They don't really care. I mean, maybe the first, maybe the university you went to gets you a little bit closer to your first job. But really, at the end of the day, it's your first job is you're going to have to prove that you can do this. And they don't really care where you went afterwards, just what you've been doing along the way. Well, okay. So what are um, some of the fundamental changes that you have helped to make for women in STEM um, through your efforts that you feel specifically? So I think that, um, I think the, the biggest one is just leading by example and mentoring. Um, sometimes women just need other women to lift them up through encouragement and mentorship. When anyone ever asks for my help, I don't care if it's a man or a woman or a, a more senior person in their career or a new grad, I want to lend a hand. And I might not always know the answer, but I'm always willing to connect people up with someone else who, who can help. Most people in your, in your um, circle are always willing to help out. They just, um, you just got to ask. Yeah, I have to ask for them to help mentor. So I would say that, it, look, there are women who paved a very solid path before I ever came into the industry, and I'm forever grateful for them. Hopefully, you know, when I'm long gone, people will say that they learned something from, you know, working at NT Concepts and that they demanded that to be in every job going forward. Or maybe later on they said, hey, you know, that woman helped 
mentor me when I was brand new in my career. And now it's my turn to pay it forward. And, and that would be my hope. Well, I hope that people continue to reach out to you. And again, people that hear this, um, you know, this episode, because you just described what I have been looking for in a mentor myself for years. Like I've been searching for someone who um, really has a genuine passion for wanting to mentor people and admittedly can say, you know, I might not have all the answers that you're seeking, but you know what? I'll gladly like hook you up with those that I know could help you instead of like, oh, figure it out on your own or um, the mentor relationship just ends because you're like, eh, you know, um, so that's an amazing attitude. I love your attitude. <laughs> We've all had help, right? To get to where we are today. Um, exactly. Yep. It's just finding it that person is the yep. key, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great. you're very involved in nonprofits uh, in the community. Who or what influenced you to have that philanthropic spirit that you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I always I I seem to always go back to my dad, but mom, my mom and dad were always people who um uh my mom would always, you know, cook for an army and invite a brigade. So we always <laughs> knew that we could bring anybody home because they were had my mom created this welcoming environment. My father always said, um, I don't care how little you have, you always have something to give. And so just oh. by example, they have they they involved me very young into um giving giving back in a in a variety of different ways. And so since I can remember, um I was involved in different um programs, whether it was the American Red Cross or the church or even just helping out neighbors, there was always um, something that we could do to help. So when you know you grow up there, you don't know anything um, different. But some people say, well, I don't know what I could possibly give to a nonprofit. Oh my gosh, there's so much that nonprofits need. And when you've um, worked in an environment where you're either a project manager or you just have a heart for something, there's always something that nonprofits need, either on a board level or a committee level, or just um, picking up the phone and talking to the executive director through some, um, you know, some challenges that they might have. So when I started, um, I guess, Pretty early on when I was in my career, I was always sitting on boards um, and doing philanthropic types of things. I I also helped create a program in my company because I realized that writing a check and having the people at the top saying what you should be doing, let's all go volunteer for Make-A-Wish or let's go in and instead I said, no, 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 this needs to be a grassroots level. So the program that we have NTC Gives Back is all about the employee-based um, ideas. They they bring nonprofits to the organization. They um, rally and create community um, uh, philanthropy sort of events. Um, and everybody in the organization can jump on top of what people bring. And then the organization will financially help support that um, nonprofit. So it's what's really fun is to have a platform where you can not only, um, you know, do it 
on your personal life, but I can also encourage people in the company to also bring their um, their nonprofit organizations to the organization and then bring all of their work buddies uh, together to help. So I love that collaboration aspect. I think that's rare and what's missing in so many other like um, companies. Because usually it's like kind of like a silo, like, okay, you'll have that day off. We're going to give you to go do like some volunteer work, you you know, so we'll give you those uh, like eight free hours. But, you know, that's kind of like the person going off by themselves. And, you know, maybe if they're friends in the company, they can get them to, you know, take off that day and do the same thing. But I love that you have this vision where you make it more of like a collaboration and it's fluid and, you know, that, that's like a great idea. I mean, having the privilege of throwing the seeds in the dirt and then standing back and watching all of these people water, roots develop, you know, trees growing. All I didn't do much. I just simply said, let's throw the seeds out. And boy, people in the in the company um, have introduced me to some incredible nonprofits who are doing everything from, um, you know, social justice types of programs all the way up to uh, environmental things. It's just really um, children benefits. Um, I would have not known on half of these uh, programs had it not been for my teammates, you know, bringing it forward. So, yeah, I think, Honestly, every company should be involved at that grassroots level. That's my opinion, because um, you will get um, not things that are there to help market how wonderful your company is doing to help an organization, but you're actually really doing some really meaningful work at a grassroots level. They, you know, I think we have a responsibility as a business community to do that. Well, that's amazing. And I think it's so good for, you know, it's like a no lose situation because you're helping an organization that needs it. You're building teamwork, you know, and then also like, it's just kind of like that feel good thing. So, you know, they say like when you um, take time out and do things like it recharges your spirit. Well, my God, whose spirit isn't recharged when you're doing like things that are just giving back to the community. And, you know, um, so that's very impactful and very mm-hmm. cool. And as the seed thrower, you are a key person, <laughs> even though you don't want to take credit. <laughs> well, that seed will not grow without people, you know, watering it. So credit needs to be where credit is due. <laughs> You have done so much, like, you know, inside the um, the walls of an office and outside. What do you hope to leave as your legacy? You know, you mentioned you have two girls. You have the girls in the STEM field, the, you know, the interns and other ones that you mentor. What would you like to leave as your legacy to those girls? Hmm. That I mean, it's a great, great question. Um, so. One of the organizations that I work with is an organization called Leadership Mission International, and they um, help women in Honduras. So they they clearly see that we have a, a border issue, but they approach the border issue on on understanding why they they want to leave their home country, and 
And they tackle the issue by instead of, you know, building a wall to keep them out, you go into their country and build communities to keep them in. And in order to do that, you have to um, educate and train women. And, And one of my passions is their women business program where they're teaching women how to start businesses and then go back to their community and make a huge difference in their community by teaching others and having their business prosper. Um, you know, with my girls, um, I I could talk to them about that or I could show them. And my girls have always been involved in you know, they flew to the Dominican Republic and helped us build homes. They write to the girls in Honduras and help empower them. My oldest child has gone down to campus with me in Honduras and got to see what it's like. So really, at the end of the day, if my legacy in my lifetime, if I can see women in Honduras rise up and be independent and, um, be the leader in their community, then it will be a wonderful change um, for me. And for my kids, if they can carry on that work that we're doing to help empower women all over the world, um, in the United States and elsewhere, then I would think that I have done my job of raising them. So, you know, it's, uh, I still have, hopefully, I don't know how long my life will be, but I sure will spend my time trying to do some good um, before before I leave. Well, I hope and think you have many, 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 many decades so. ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> and the world definitely needs more people like you. So, <laughs> because you're just uh, such a, a, a positive, bright addition, you know, um, from so many different perspectives of life. So uh, I I hope you are able to continue doing what you're doing, inspiring people. Um, You know, I know you're stepping down uh, as CEO of your company to, um, you know, try different things and go on different paths in life, but um, you're going to continue to keep rocking it. Uh (laughs) Well, thank you for having programs like this um, to, empower and um and and show what women are doing out there um so that next generation can help carry that baton i really hope to inspire as many girls and women as we can and keep growing um and if you would like to learn about michelle and nt concepts please go to their website at www dot ntconcepts.com and you can follow them on ig at nt underscore concepts thank you for taking the time to unplug with me today michelle and rock on my pleasure <laughs>